because obviously there's no shortage of different sports that we can move into u.s sports cricket formula one you know the list is endless politics in northern ireland politics in northern ireland don't think we get many <laughs> many people interested in that but you never know i would be interested yeah. in that. the business of betting podcast is presented by optimove the number one crm marketing solution for the iGaming industry Four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Learn more about Optimove by requesting a demo at Optimove.com slash business of betting. And if you like what you see, you will get your first month free. What is up, everybody? I am Jason Charles, the host of the Business of Betting podcast. I'm in studio today with Will Martin, the CEO and founder of LiveDuel, an up-and-coming exchange. Welcome to the podcast, Will. Cheers. Thank you for having me, Jason. A new exchange, huh? <laughs> Another one. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> I think you're the third or fourth exchange on the podcast. And I remember when I first started Smarkets, I want to say there was a, I don't know if I'd call it a graveyard, but there was about 40 startups and exchanges oh, wow. back in the day. And almost all of them went out of business except for a handful. So welcome to the new pass at Founding Exchanges. And you're from Ireland. Yeah. What do you think about Sinn Féin becoming <laughs> first minister of Northern Ireland? Yeah, and it's probably been a long time coming, you know, like the election results have been in for like almost two years. So yeah, it's kind of a strange situation, politics in the North at the best of times. But that kind of cross-border sharing, it's good, but it also has its downsides as well. But yeah, good to see a government functioning again. You know, there's so many people on waiting lists up in the north. So now hopefully it will turn to some sort of normality. Where are you at in terms of reunification? Do you want Ireland to be reunified? To be honest, I'm kind of agnostic on the whole situation. You know, any vote that will happen, Ireland will have to vote and Northern will have to vote. So I think my voting position would be yes. And then out of the north to be the real decision makers. I don't want to, them to vote. Yes, we want unity and ireland to say no actually we don't so do you think ireland would vote no no like it's definitely a potential you know like they're definitely it's not a a foregone conclusion either way you know so i think that's where i would lie it wouldn't be super passionate it wouldn't be it wouldn't influence my voting for a political party right now or anytime in the near future yeah and have you been to northern ireland yes uh, yeah not very often like interconnectivity in ireland isn't the best everything's kind of got to go through there just travel um, bit of tourism. Great. After Brexit, I'm very pro-Irish reunification. So I, I think it's sort of where things are, are pointed, at yeah. least from my perspective. Yeah, if you look at the the census data and stuff, you know, it's only kind of going one way, you know. So it's Scotland's going to break off. Northern Ireland's going to break off. Yeah, I, I think, think Wales, will, Wales will hold Yeah, they'll hold tough. But I think <laughs> Ireland's definitely kind of in pole position now over Scotland. We'll kind of see what happens. Great. Exchanges, huh? Yeah. Never heard of them. So why don't you, for the audience, why don't you set up where you're from, the name of your company, what you're mm-hmm. trying to do, and let's hear the elevator pitch. So Will Martin from Cork in Ireland, founder of LiveJewel. So it's a decentralized sports betting exchange. So it's not quite similar to, I guess, the first kind of iteration of betting exchanges. So it's kind of taking a lot of lessons and learnings from the world of decentralized finance, which is trying to get remove the middleman from the world of finance and applying them to to sports betting. So came through Techstars Web3 Accelerator program in 2022, up to a total of six in our team right now. 
Adidas family also have invested as have Avalanche, the kind of layer one blockchain. We can go into the, the nitty gritty details of the blockchain stack that we're using and the, the benefits of it. We don't lean too heavy into the fact that we're based on blockchain. We just kind of view it as another part of our tech stack, you know, kind of pisses me off when people kind of leave that, hey, we're crypto or we're blockchain as the main selling point, as if that's really what a differentiator is, but what benefits can come out of it. So why don't you talk a little bit about the motivation? Because obviously there's exchanges in the Mm -hmm. market. There's also other blockchain exchanges in the market. So what did you, looking at the market from your perspective, why did you see this market and say, hey, it's my jam? So I kind of got into sports betting when I was first year university student many, many years ago now. Studied economics and computer science, learned about commodities, arbitrage and econ 101. And I thought that was quite interesting and decided to do my project on can you apply those principles to sports betting? Because I guess my hypothesis was all these different betting companies, exchanges and sports books are essentially selling the same commodity. It's Manchester City to win the Champions League or the Premier League or Liverpool to win, win the league, but the prices might be quite different. So I was able to execute lots of trades, make a bit of money, got an A on the project, but it kind of introduced me to that whole world. So kind of moved from there into value betting, match betting, sports trading, stuff like that. When I was telling other people in my economics class or in the poker society, this is really interesting, you should take a look at it. The user experience of betting exchanges kind of went above their heads of, this is too complicated, I don't really care that much. So that's kind of the angle that we're kind of taking that. Betting exchanges have been proven to be wildly successful, but there's potential issues with scalability, kind of hitting the masses that is still very a trader kind of focused uh, user base. And maybe you've kind of got clear insights there. And I think, you know, what you're doing with your sports book as well, I think kind of leads into that as well, that it needs to be kind of more mass market. So that's our approach. Okay. So you were econ student, econ and computer science. Yes. I would argue that computer science is more important than the econ. Oh, definitely, yeah. But I'm not that smart. Where I could do computer <laughs> science very well, so that was my minor. I was never good at computer science either, but it's really an important skill, I think. 100%. You were match betting, you were arbing, and you thought that this is cool, but it's not very well done. Yeah, okay. it was just to explain it to other people. It was just, you know, it kind of felt like I was a lecturer in econ and computer science trying to, hey, you can make money, and it's sports betting. This is cool. This should be fun. Whereas people just kind of viewed it like, I don't know what's going on. Why is there 18 prices on Premier League match? Mm-hmm. Why are half of them pink? Why are half of them blue? And how did you make the leap from that to, I'm going to dedicate my next X years of my life to this? Kind of parked it for a good number of years, was a futures and options trader for a few years. Went back after that to do a, a master's in entrepreneurship and management. So I got to, it's kind of in two minds at the time. It was after the flash crash in May 2010. I was like, I don't really like this industry. It was definitely like my path when I was like 10 years old to, to be that kind of trader type. But when I pulled back the curtain, it just wasn't for me. So yeah, I got to study and live in Barcelona, Taiwan and San Francisco. So it got me really interested in just the whole kind of cultural aspect of different things. Um, ended up in San Francisco for a while, worked on product on Beats by Dre products. That kind of gave me appreciation of how you can take a commoditized product, which are headphones, and turn them into like the hottest new thing using kind of influencers athletes and stuff to kind of promote the brand so then it was really like GameStop phenomenon and kind of investigating that a bit more because it was very different from when I was kind of working in in the financial industry you know it's very social media driven younger demographics everyone's kind of getting shuttled into into Robinhood and similar kind of apps so it was kind of at that point like why hasn't someone kind of taken another stab at an improved kind of user experience mobile first 
exchange. So that was kind of the, the starting point a couple of years ago. So had put together a basic prototype, built a the kind of co-founding team, played to get into Techstars. And that, that, that was kind of the, all right, we got something here, you know, let's go. Great. And are you basing in Ireland or were you, or were you setting things up? company is based out of Ireland, but the, the team is pretty decentralized at the moment. And that's yeah. probably how we'll, we'll go for, for the next while. Serbia and Croatia, team member in India, UK and Ireland. So, yeah. Great. Why don't we get into the weeds? Because mm-hmm. at least from my perspective, it's quite a crowded market. From the sportsbook side, there's, God, I don't know. I, I would say in the UK, there's probably, I'm using the UK market because I know that the best. Mm-hmm. But I would say there's three or 400 books that face the UK market. In the US, there's 30. In the exchange world, there's four or five major players and I think probably four or five crypto exchanges. So it's quite a crowded marketplace. So so what's your edge or what do you think your edge is? Yeah, so like we're a big fan of the whole exchange and prediction market kind of model, but it's really around that kind of user experience kind of issue. The Holy Grail, I think I've heard it on your podcast before, of looks more like a sports book, operates more like a betting exchange and that's kind of what we're building from the ground up. So it's really... How do you simplify the user experience? We just show the prevailing price or the current price of the different options. So instead of having to have 18 prices for that Premier League match, we can just show three, um, which can cut through a lot of the noise and the onboarding issues that exchanges have faced with kind of mass market general sports fan. And it's really like, how do we build up from there? So we're just focusing on the, the big markets to begin with. Home team, away team draw, over under, maybe some spreads then if we're talking about US sports, but literally just focusing on those rather than trying to be hey, we have 500 markets available for this upcoming game because don't really want to go for the long tail. It's how do you focus on the big markets? And then I think you've probably found as well that since you're an exchange, it's kind of easier to build community and onboard people. So that's our main focus of how do we incentivize our community as well as us and be completely aligned so we can build something together uh, rather than having that kind of weird relationship that sportsbooks and their end users have. So why don't you take a, a moment to criticize what I've done? Because I think I have largely the same hypothesis that mm-hmm. you do, that exchanges are amazing. It's amazing technology, but the way they're implemented is not very user-friendly. I completely agree with that. So what do you think, what have we done that you think has created an opening for you? Well, I guess you started way before. So there's obviously different constraints that you guys came from, you know, technology was completely different. I don't know, was the iPhone even announced by the time you, no. you guys had launched? So yeah, <laughs> so if you'd your, your time over again, because that's just the piece of hardware that people are using, but the distribution models are completely different now, app stores. Content. But I mean, more, more specifically today, like yeah, what yeah. do you think is missing from our products that you want to add to the marketplace? Yeah, like I think just the overall user experience, you know, the interface design, traditional kind of exchanges are more of like the order book kind of model, you know, kind of showing a lot, a lot of information and, you know, BetDex are the big on-chain betting exchange kind of product, a kind of 800 pound gorilla in our direct kind of market, but they've kind of taken that kind of user interface from Betfair's markets and put it on chain. Whereas I think that's kind of missing the mark of this new audience is going to be super young that they don't, they're not coming from that background. They're coming from regular generalist apps like Robinhood or Tinder, like all these kind of ones that really kind of focus on that user experience. So it's like, how do you simplify it? Allow the people that really want to get into the weeds, get into the weeds if they want to, but you're streamlining that that kind of core product on the front end. So that's my biggest kind of criticism, but that's kind of a function of when you guys started that you were designing for desktop. Why wouldn't you show this information? Your target audience Mm -hmm. was more trader focused. That's the screens they're looking at. You know, they're Mm -hmm. looking at four Bloomberg terminals probably. Exactly. So how do you map that over? So that would be my kind of difference because yeah i don't know what the penetration 
rate of betting exchanges are compared to sportsbook, but I imagine 10%. it's 10%. Yeah, yeah. In the UK. Yeah. So I'd imagine trying to simplify it, you know, we could potentially increase our potential audience. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to see SBK, but mm-hmm. SBK is what we're trying. I think similar to what you're trying to do, where you're basically taking the sportsbook experience mm-hmm. uh, built on top of the exchange. So where do you think we're missing the mark on SBK? Well, I, I guess it's just like the, the kind of complexity of having two products. Mm-hmm. And is there any kind of potential downsides of that, of friction or, or latency yes. and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the key kind of issue that I would see that we're kind of building from the ground up with that in mind, rather than trying to, I'm not saying you guys are trying to shoehorn it in, but you're trying to work with an existing code base that's many, many years old and probably beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful code base (laughs) with no technical debt whatsoever. Yeah, just like everyone, you know, right? (laughs) We both got to mention how bad we were at computer science in university. (laughs) So we all know the the problem with spaghetti code and decisions you made that seem pretty small can grow into molehills. So I guess that's kind of one of the advantages that we have that we can start with no technical debt to begin with. Obviously, Mm -hmm. some might get introduced over the course of time, but that we've got that kind of carte blanche approach of, okay, how would we build this and architect it as best as possible? moving forward. Okay, let's get into the weeds a little bit. So mm-hmm. blockchain, every time I hear that word, I have a little bit of a gag reflex. If you've listened to the pod before, you'll know that I'm very anti-crypto as okay. a concept. I think the main benefit of crypto is doing things for illegal means. It's very good at that. But outside of that, I don't see a lot of technical benefit to blockchain besides a few maybe cute proof of concept ideas, but generally I'm pretty negative on blockchain. So why am I wrong about that? And why is it right for sports betting? Yeah, like I guess there's always kind of the difference between what is crypto and what is blockchain. Blockchain is just a open database, essentially, you know, ledger kind of technology. Crypto then is kind of like the the financialization of that. And, you know, we've seen over the last few years, like so many different scams and shit coins and meme coins uh, kind of take over. And it's just, they start for fun and someone trying to make a lot of money. Um, so we're trying to stay away from that. Like we don't heavily promote that we're crypto or blockchain. Like we won't be launching with a token or anything like that, but it's in our roadmap at some point. So when we kind of first got, got started, it was, okay, we think we can improve the user experience on the front end, improve the flows so we can onboard users into the betting exchange kind of world more seamlessly if they're coming from traditional sports books. So then the next biggest issue for us was all about liquidity. You know, how do we design and develop two-way mark, you know, peer-to-peer kind of exchange. So we spoke with Matchbook. Not sure if we reached out to you guys, Markets. Spoke with the guys from Betfair about kind of potentially tapping into their liquidity. They would seem pretty happy with that, but it really didn't give us much control over the direction of the product because they're controlling the price and the, the liquidity, which is not a great place to, to build a business on, you know, and essentially the monetization model would have been, hey, get new users, sign up, we'll give you X percent or a finder's fee. So the world of DeFi really kind of kicked off um, in summer 2020. Uh, so this is before you decided to go down the blockchain route. We're going to basically syndicate the liquidity on yeah. Betfair or Match. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't say, okay, I'm building a blockchain uh, company. But yeah, the world of DeFi kind of popped off in the summer of 2020. So DeFi is or decentralized finance. And you're a kind trendy of, guy. Yeah, yeah. Hip yeah. to the groove. Yeah. <laughs> So the whole promise of DeFi is trying to remove the middleman from the world of finance. So it's like, okay, let's take a deeper look at this to see if we can remove the middleman from the world of sports betting because that's ultimately the angle that we're going for. So I'm not sure if you've heard of Uniswap, but it's decentralized exchange. At the end of 2022, there was like a trillion dollars traded on on that. It's an open source source. DeFi blockchain exchange. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So how it kind of works is that there will be loads of different pools. So it's Ethereum and US dollars, Bitcoin and 
US dollars and so many different types of coins. So those pools, if you want to come in and, and buy Bitcoin, put in your US dollars, and then that pool will give you back the, the Bitcoin that you want based on the price of supply and demand on, on both sides. So without that was really, really interesting. And it's kind of improved year on year. I think they're up to version four now, but when there's a trillion dollars after going through it in a short space of time, you know, it's been kind of battle tested. So it's how can we take those learnings and apply them to the sports betting world? So we kind of mentioned about, you know, the usability on the end user side, but I also think on the liquidity provider side, you know, it's really difficult for your average user to be part of that kind of side of the business. Big market makers, I think, are you you're the only market maker or one of the biggest on, on your own platform? Mm. But it's like, how do you get retail invested or interested in that side as well? Because, you know, I was just at ICE, there's 40,000 people there. I'm sure they'd be like, yeah, I've got $500. Let's stick that into the liquidity pool. And then our algorithms kind of take care of the rest. So really kind of offered us key advantages to go the blockchain route. And then, yeah, we're built on top of Avalanche, which we can get into as well. And some of the... Well, let's double click on this stuff. This exchange, what is called? What is it called again? Uniswap. Yeah. Okay. So sports betting happens under a financial instrument called a binary option. Do mm. they offer binary options? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And do you have to pay them to use their platform? How does that work? Yeah, I think with version four, there's been some sort of changes as to how to how you use their platform or their kind of smart contracts. But version three, there, there's not. Free to use. Yeah. And it happens in the in the cloud or basically in the world. It's yeah, a, yeah. It's a decentralized exchange. So one of the big things that pops into my head is that with exchanges, latency is quite important. Mm-hmm. So what's like an average latency for a trade on Uniswap? Yeah. I'm going to write it down. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know those those figures exactly, but yeah, it's pretty... But roughly, are we talking seconds? Are we talking milliseconds? Are we talking like minutes? Are yeah. we talking like I can go make popcorn and come back? <laughs> it's and maybe... definitely not that long. Definitely not that long, but yeah. Seconds or, or milliseconds. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe we can Google it. Let's say it's a second or whatever, mm-hmm. two seconds or three seconds. This is all happening with Ethereum smart contracts. Solidity smart contracts. Solidity? Yeah. So it's basically like a JavaScript type language. For I don't know what contracts. Solidity is. Can you explain that? Yeah. So it's the kind of language for smart contracts. That's a language that happens within the Ethereum smart contracts. Yeah. So that's in the payload of the Ethereum smart contract. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just for Ethereum. It's for loads of other different types of chains and stuff like that. Okay. And I'm going to screw up my blockchain terminology here, but do you have, what's the governing mechanism called? The DAO or something? Yeah, that's you have a DAO? Not right now, but that's something that we're definitely kind of considering. Um, You're not live yet, right? We're not live yet. No, no, no. And we we don't have a token yet, but it's in our kind of pipeline as well. Okay. Uh, So how does that work? You have to... Write a DAO, which is basically the governing model of your smart contracts, right? It, says it wouldn't of- be of the smart contract necessarily, but of the overall kind of organization. You could get into the specifics of how the, the smart contract operates, but typically be for kind of more protocol level kind of decisions. So in our instance, how we plan to use a kind of a DAO model is we're focusing on soccer to begin with or football. We're in London. No, no, say say soccer. <laughs> well, I'm Irish, so we say soccer as well. <laughs> You know, I, people don't know this. Soccer is the original term for it. In, oh, the sport in England. Yeah, it's yeah. to disambiguate it from rugby. Soccer rugby. is absolutely the right term for this. <laughs> yeah. So you're starting with soccer. Starting with soccer. So our kind of uh, plan with the DAO is, okay, which sport should we move into next? So kind of giving that kind of community, that kind of sense of control and engagement so we can, A, kind of sample what people are interested in, but B, kind of give them control over what they want to see next. Because obviously there's no shortage of different sports that we can move into. U.S. sports, cricket, Formula One, you know, the list is endless. 
politics in Northern Ireland. Politics in Northern Ireland. I don't think we get many, <laughs> many people interested in that, but you never know. I would be interested yeah. in it. So how does it work from, and excuse me for my ignorant questions about the blockchain, but mm-hmm. how does it work with sort of settlement, liquidity provisioning, order book stuff? Is that all governed by the smart contract and you yeah. write the rules to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you haven't written those rules yet? Yeah, we we have for, have for the most part, yeah. Not, not yeah. every single aspect of it, but yeah, I guess we could take a step back. So Uniswap's kind of big kind of innovation is called automatic market makers or automated market makers. Mm-hmm. Um, what could go wrong? Yeah, yeah. But what they've proven is really, really interesting stuff. So yeah. they've... Even for their binary options. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're quick innovators, you know, like it's obviously kind of constantly evolving kind of landscape. But yeah, trillion dollars kind of gone through and that, that was kind of 18 months, two years ago now at this stage. So I'd imagine there, there might be... There's a lot of money in Prime. <laughs> this is the point I don't get, you know, like 10 years ago when Silk Road was popping off, I could see why people are like, oh shit, there's all, all this drug money coming in and, mm-hmm. and stuff to, to crypto and blockchain. But it's more transparent and trackable than cash, you know, like how much is wagered on the site of a race course? What do, what do you think cash? people are using blockchain for? For, trans- for transactions. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course Putin's using it for transactions. The Chinese <laughs> and the Iranians. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm they're also on. using money. So <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I'm being a little bit cheeky, but I do think the principal use of crypto slash, and I'm using crypto and blockchain interchangeably, but I do think the principal benefit of it is illegality. You use digital currency or normal uh, currency. No. But if you have to wait, three to five days for a bank transfer, then you might look at more instant transactions. I think it's, it depends on the, it depends on the country and the network. Like in Europe, for example, it's instant. It's free to move money in, in the UK and Europe with SEPA payments. It's pretty, mm. pretty fast and easy. In America, it's because we are built on sort of this federalistic archaic system of ACH transfers, and that's kind of slow. Venmo's kind of gotten around that by yeah. doing sort of peer-to-peer. But if you want to send money instantly, you can use Venmo or PayPal or something like that to kind of, Move money. Yeah, potentially, but then you're kind of operating on their terms. You know, PayPal have kind of jacked up their transaction fees over the course of time. And, you know, if I'm paying someone in, in the US or someone's trying to pay me, it's like, okay, shit, yeah, there's going to be a. But while we're talking delay. about transaction fees, I have a very, very, very small amount of Bitcoin and I just parked it on Coinbase because I didn't want to mm-hmm. do custodian. I, I left it on my sort of Dropbox account forever and just moved it to. Uh, Coinbase, they have a charge of two percent transaction fee. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, they're fully regulated, super you know, so expensive. It's, yeah, so there's tons of transaction fees in crypto. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm not, not going to say there isn't gas fees in Ethereum are, are just absolutely crazy, and that's kind of why we went with Avalanche. So we're running our own kind of node infrastructure. So what is Avalanche? Avalanche is another kind of layer one with smart contracts, kind of what based. What layer one mean? So it's you know the kind of root kind of protocol or or whatever. That's where the smart contracts are deployed. What and layer the, is Ethereum? Layer one as well. Okay, so you're using a different, you're not using Ethereum. Not using Ethereum, but everything okay. is EVM or compatible, you know, so everything okay. is kind of taking so what Ethereum have done and, you know, kind of improving it and putting their own kind of spin on it. This is like Ethereum B. Ethereum B, yeah. So Solana and Blanche would probably be the two biggest kind of okay. similar to Ethereum, but trying to solve some of the issues like Transaction okay. speed. So you're using Avalanche, yeah. which is Ethereum B and Uniswap, and they have these automated market makers for binary options. And your hypothesis is that will work in sports betting context. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about liquidity provisioning because you can just click on automated market maker on the Uniswap. 
Yeah, and it's just it, we can attract a, a wider scale audience that we don't need to be, you know, attracting market makers that are doing this day in day out. That we can attract a, a retail kind of audience that might want to put in because you have liquidity because of the automated market maker of Uniswap. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So they they don't have to go in and you know add liquidity to each individual market, each individual outcome at each individual price. I could put in five hundred dollars and just kind of be more kind of passive and rack up transaction fees. So, yeah. You mean you can fund the audit? You you don't have to know the algorithm. You give the automated market maker mm-hmm. wampum points, avalanche points here, <laughs> yeah. and whatever it's called. <laughs> and then that does the magic. Yeah. Okay. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like, you know, easy money. Okay. So what about, uh, I'm skeptical. How, do you, Can you explain how this automated market maker works? Do yeah, you so understand the mechanics? Yeah, yeah. Like I wouldn't be able to, to write a PhD uh, kind of report or whatever. Master's? Bachelor's? Maybe. Give me the bachelor's uh, explanation um, of it. Yeah, so it's all kind of pure kind of supply and demand. So it's like a, a consistent kind of curve. So if there's big demand on one side, it's obviously going to change the price on, on the other side of the market. Um, so that, that's kind of like the, the big innovation really that it all just kind of happens automatically. So what we kind of do to apply it to the sports betting world is like we wouldn't be live with our markets as soon as you guys would be or anyone else in the market. So we can kind of see where the market goes. So we can be at a starting point that kind of makes sense that we're not starting at a 50-50 if it's a 90-10 game, mm-hmm. for example. So we can have a, a good kind of starting point in the market. So we're not just going to be arbed out of existence to begin with, obviously, the the volume would be nice to, to kind of get that ball rolling, but we don't want to expose our liquidity pool to, to that type of action. And this 500 bucks that you were saying would go into some pool, like where's that 500 bucks coming from? Yeah, it'd be coming from me. You know, okay. And that like you're going to seed it with yeah. these automated market makers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just kind of talking about like retail types of users could put in whatever they feel comfortable with, you know, 500, 700, 1000, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So we can grow a bigger liquidity pool by tapping into those potential users as well. Okay, and how do you manage sports data and how do you manage these markets? Like, are you going to halt when there's a goal in the soccer game? Or what are you thinking about term, sort of the, the event management, the market level management? Yeah, yeah. So it's obviously kind of crucial. And, you know, when we first kind of started with our, our beta, we, we kind of learned a lesson. Obviously, we weren't kind of fully live and it wasn't for real money. So it didn't, wasn't a costly error or anything. But there was the France-Algeria game in the World Cup. They scored, France scored a last-minute equalizer. Ref blew up and then VAR kind of got on the, the phone like two minutes later saying, actually, might want to have a look here. It might be an offside. So the market had resolved according to all our, our kind of data feeds that we had kind of coming in that the result was a draw. But then that goal got removed. So then it ended up being an Algeria win. So it kind of showed us that lesson that if you do everything kind of purely decentralized or as soon as uh, a data feed kind of comes in with the results that, you know, that's not guaranteed. It's not bulletproof. It's not going to be 100% accurate the whole time. So yeah, we've had to put some sort of breakers in so we can potentially solve for that. In an ideal world, I'd love for markets to be open all the time. But with VAR and VAR decisions kind of going on for so long, you know, it's just kind of opening up potential issues. So we will be kind of pausing markets when... So in the blockchain context, you are a centralized source that is managing the markets. Yeah, no, we're not. No, you're not centralized. No, so we use Oracle. So we'd be taking in multiple different kind of data feeds um, and using them to, to kind of base the decisions. And the Oracle of. is sort of a de- democratic base, like 51% of the Oracle wins the Oracle? 
No, so yeah, there's kind of trusted data providers that are kind of on-chain as well. I think it's probably like the 25 of the, the big kind of data companies that you're probably familiar with. They also have kind of on-chain data there's feeds. There's a BetRadar feed that has... I'm not sure if BetRadar would be there, but yeah, some of the other kind of big ones would be. How we, do you we handle can... it? How do you handle this VAR case? So yeah, it's kind of paused the market until, until we have a resolution. Unfortunately, that's the, how we're operating right now, but okay. I would love it to be just purely open, but it's and not what, a reality right what now. What would happen if the VAR, the data feed is wrong? How would, like, how would you handle that case? Like they confirmed the goal after VAR, but it was wrong. The data feed was wrong. Yeah, yeah. TBD. TBD. Like it's, <laughs> Yolo. it's not an easy. Like, YOLO, blockchain to... people. Yeah. <laughs> it's not meant to be real. Yeah. <laughs> and how would you guys resolve that? We should resettle it. We have the ability to resettle markets. So this happens every, I don't know, I would say like one every 500 football matches, one every thousand football matches. There's bad data that comes in because mm-hmm. there's thousands of football matches, right. soccer matches. Look at me. Look at me being all English. There's thousands of soccer football matches a month. And every once in a while, the, the data providers are get it wrong all the time. And so we yeah. have to resettle the match. Yeah, yeah. So would you be using kind of one provider per game or would there be multiple? Typically, but we also, we have the ability to use multiple ones, mm-hmm. but we'll have one dominant one per game. Yeah, so that was kind of our learning from that World Cup example that I talked about, that we need multiple for every game because... The one person is, could enter something wrong on one data feed and you could settle a market based on that. But if three people make the same error, yeah. you know. But then you have mapping issues and they disagree yeah. issues. Like so, so if you have multiple data sources, it creates a new set of problems. Okay, so you're using an exchange with the automated market maker that's going to abstract away a lot of the complexity because we built an exchange from scratch. Yeah. A lot of the complexity is building a high-performance exchange. You know, that was where a lot of our engineering effort went we build our own market maker that's where a lot of mm-hmm. our engineering effort went so you don't have to build any of those two pieces is what you're saying yeah so that frees you guys up to just focus on the front-end interface yes yeah okay so what do you want to do that's unique in the market from a user interface perspective yeah it's just the the streamlining of it you know just to make it super easy to, to kind of use that if you're coming from a sports book then you'll know exactly what to do one kind of design decision that i kind of made that we'll see if it will kind of working in the long run, but it's presenting everything as in a dollar or pound or, or euro cents. So it's from essentially probabilities. So from zero, one cents up to a full dollar. So that's how we're kind of different from other people, I guess, in the market. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of more taking lessons from the, the prediction market kind of world. And the reason for that is, you know, anytime I was looking at different odds across different sports books, it was always like, okay, take whatever odds are coming in and let's convert it so I can do a, a one-to-one kind of mapping that I'm not like trying to convert fractions to decimals and American odds kind of system. But I think it will really kind of help us and our content creators to promote our markets to the wider audience that, okay, Manchester United are 55% chance. Okay, they're probably going to lose. So I think that's actually a bad bet. So I'll, I'll take the other side um, or take the draw. So that's kind of the biggest kind of change but obviously then we'll allow people to change to to view whatever kind of odds format they they prefer but i think that would be a big one for us i totally agree with you that i like percentages best but from my experience sports betters don't like percentages to the odds and so yeah yeah like we definitely have that that option for people but we kind of want to create a kind of more of universal one and we're targeting digital natives right so it's that kind of 18 to 35 kind of mark so some people might have experienced sports betting other people won't. Like when we first started, it was 
okay, sports betting is opening up in the US. A lot of people are coming now from the likes of Robinhood and different kind of trading apps. So they don't have the same, you know, kind of longstanding user experience of, of sports betting. So that's kind of where we kind of made that decision. Cool. Well, as somebody that's built a lot of this stuff, do you have any questions for me and what I've gone through in my journey? Yeah, I guess kind of fundraising is always a big kind of challenge. So good luck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I found fundraising challenging for many different reasons. I mean, we were successful raising 30 million in 2021, but okay. before we founded the company in 2008 and between 2008 and 2021, we had raised $5 million. Right. And so we kind of had to scrape by for, I don't know, 10, 12 years with very little funding. The upside of that is it teaches you how to be lean, mm -hmm. get profitable really fast, and really build something people want because you have to, because if you don't, you don't have the money to kind of fall back on. But there's a few reasons that people don't want to invest in sports betting. Number one is sort of, I, and I think this is changing a little bit, but it's kind of seen as an immoral industry, yeah. amoral industry, immoral and amoral. You know, so a lot of people have that aversion to it, especially Americans, uh, mm -hmm. although that's changing since FanDuel DraftKings yeah. and the market's opening up. Two, there's a lot of LP restrictions, whether you have mm -hmm. Sharia law funds, you know, from the Middle East that have explicit prohibitions on gambling. Well, it's not just Sharia law. There's other LPs that will have sort of sin industry restrictions. Yeah. So a lot of investors no have that. And the third thing because we have always been taking counterparty risk ourselves, mm -hmm. a lot of people were uncomfortable with the counterparty risk that we have to take. Right. So technically we have balance sheet risk, which all sports books do if they're making their own book, balance sheet risk. But that model is uncomfortable for customers. So for those three reasons, we had a very hard time raising money. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> so that five million that you raised initially, was that one big round? No, that was, was like that seven of... rounds. Right, okay. That yeah, was like yeah. seven rounds. So I started with friend, I did the first two rounds with friends and family. And then I think I got my first check from a London angel called Stefan Glenzer. And then I rolled that into, then he brought in another few angels. And then we did a small round with Passion Capital. It was a lot of small rounds. Yeah, what are you seeing in the, the kind of US kind of markets? That's ultimately where we'd like to be, but it's just like way too competitive. Cost of entry is just brutal. Yeah, I, I, th I think that's a fair summary, but it, it seems like there's still a lot of interest in it. There's, there's startups that are, you know, a lot have been on this podcast that have raised a decent chunk mm. of funding, you know, from the sport trades, to the underdogs, to the companies like that, to the betters that have raised a decent chunk of cash that are going after this market. So I think there's still a lot of enthusiasm, even though it's a very competitive market. I think intuitively people know that or people think that FanDuel DraftKings is not going to retain the dominant position that they're mm -hmm. in, which is why they want to fund it. Also, the market's going to keep growing. I think only about half the United States is open right now. Right. But to your point, it is very competitive and it's not economically sane right now. Yeah, yeah. Like we're definitely not going to be touching it for a long time, but it's obviously yeah. ultimately where where a lot of action is going to be kind of falling down. Because yeah, if we kind of look back, Betfair might be 25 years old. You know, where the next 25 years going to be. That's kind of our kind of time horizon, you know, mm. taking really, really long term. Let's go on the blockchain, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not getting less digital, so. <laughs> well, anything else you want to add for the audience that you want people to know about you or when should they 
how can they check you out? Yeah, so go to LiveDuel.com, at LiveDuel, pretty much on all the, the various different social platforms. Are you, can you bet on LiveDuel today? Not not right now. Okay. So when are you planning on launching? Hopefully for June. So we're, we're kind of in that interesting situation of kind of going through our, our licensing right now. Which so, license are you going for? So Curacao. Mm. <laughs> Maybe we should have started with for that. all the reputable blockchain companies. Oh, 100%. Yeah, but, okay. but they're, they're shaking things up. Because yeah, sure like, it's really difficult as a startup to try and figure out which way you're going to go because... It's going to cost a lot of money, or it's going to take a lot of time to actually get through it. And why not? Both. Why not get a UK license out of curiosity? Because yeah, the rules are, are going to be changing, and you know we've kind of heard it's kind of like twelve to eighteen months kind of backlog right now. Um, Is it? Apparently so. Because okay. yeah, when rules are kind of in motion of being changed, I think you know mm-hmm. they just went okay, let's slow down our, our approval rate here, mm-hmm. so we can you know have a closer look that we don't want to leave everyone through and then oh actually all the rules have changed so we have to kind of reevaluate things so yeah the cost is quite significant i didn't realize that many people bet in curacao huge huge yeah, market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. all twenty thousand people <laughs> yeah. there so yeah obviously we'll be targeting different jurisdictions we won't be doing anything in the uk for example or anywhere in the eu pretty much mm-hmm. or the us for that matter so it's really like a stepping stone kind of license for us because yeah we would love to be able to just raise loads of money and okay, let's go for the best in class license. But it's just not the reality of the situation, unfortunately. Yeah. Great. Well, I wish you the best of luck. I completely agree with you that user interfaces leave a lot to be desired and think there's a lot of space there. I'm still skeptical on the blockchain aspect, but maybe you'll prove me wrong with that. And looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with. Perfect. Thanks for your time, Jason. Cheers, Will. The Business of Betting podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Learn more about Optimove by requesting a demo at optimove.com slash business of betting. And if you like what you see, you will get your first month free.